completed 2020 and for many I've heard it said that uh, I'm so glad that that year is behind us. Each one can elaborate on their own individual challenges and struggles that they've had over this last year. We've had several in our congregation that have gone to be with the Lord just over the last year. And sadly, we just barely could have uh, services for several of them when that happened and uh, just uh, had a lot of challenges. There have been a lot of challenges in our nation, in our leadership, in our country. There's been a lot of division. There's been a lot of challenges for the churches. Many churches were closed for a period of time. And many churches right now are struggling. Uh, You can see just from our attendance that uh, many of our folks are joining online or over the phone to hear the service, but many are not comfortable being here. We hope and pray that uh, soon this will be behind us and things will be back I hear folks reference the new normal. I'm looking forward to the old normal that we were familiar with returning again. And I pray the Lord will bless that to be the case. Brother Asa, in his message last week, brought out, he said, maybe things will get better, a whole lot better, or maybe things will get worse. Well, God is sovereign. God has promised that his church will be sustained Uh, throughout our time here upon this earth and that even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of Almighty God. I don't know that it will still be here in Bel Air, Maryland. I hope it will. It's been here since 1934. I don't know if it will be in the state of Maryland, but I do know that the Lord has promised to sustain a witness. I hope it's right here. I hope it's for many, many years to come. The Lord will retain a witness for himself on this earth until he comes back. And it would be our delight and joy if we're able to worship and labor in it as long as we live. So there's some things that that we just can't do anything about. I mean, in fact, there's a lot of things that we can't do much about. And we're reminded that that when there are things that that we can't do anything about, that we just need to remember to trust in the Lord. When there's things that, that we do not have control over and rest and have the assurance that we believe and hope and worship a sovereign God. There's some battles that we can't win. Uh, the enemy is, is too great. And on situations like that, we have to be reminded that ultimately the battle is the Lord's. I would encourage you to listen today to the second part of the message that Elder Bradley preached titled Forward March. He references a soldier that's weary and tired and troubled and discouraged. 
But he says we don't have the luxury and the ability to quit in our journey. And we've got to be persistent. So there's some things that we can't do much about. And the older we get, the more we realize that there's a lot of things that are not in our control. It doesn't mean that they're out of control. We have a God who is sovereign, that's ruling and reigning in heaven. And there's nothing that's out of God's control. God is sovereign. God, who causes our salvation, who secured our salvation, either causes or allows things here in this life. But God is more powerful all the time than Satan himself. Sometimes we get discouraged when we look around us and we see the influence of Satan and we're troubled by his influence in our lives and all around us. But we need to be reminded that God has more power and is in control. And Satan can only do as much as what God will allow him to do. And God is able to restrain Satan. And we need to be reminded of that. So when Satan troubles us, we need to go to God and ask him to help us and to restrain us. But there are some things we can do. I believe that we are to wait on the Lord. But I believe that while we're waiting on the Lord, we're to do everything that we can do. We don't set back and do nothing, but we do what we can do while we're waiting on the Lord. Now, I'd like to look at Psalm chapter 1. It's a short psalm, but it's loaded with some really good things that we can do. And he describes the man that does these things as being a blessed man. And this could be a blessed man or a blessed woman. It certainly could reference both. Now, although it doesn't specifically say the author, it's likely David. Psalm 1 and 2 sort of go together. And there's reference about David writing Psalm 2. But as the psalmist writes, he gives us some instruction right here. And he tells us that we're blessed if we don't do something. And we're blessed if we do something. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd like to fall in that category that's described as being a blessed individual. I really would. I'd like to know that And I can look back in my life and recognize that I've truly experienced the blessings of God. But here the psalmist says that if there's some things that we don't do, we'll be blessed. And some things that if we do do them, we'll be blessed. And let's look at what it says right here in Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man... And it talks right here in verse 1. It mentions three types of posture that we embrace. It mentions the man that is walking. 
It mentions when we're standing or it mentions when we're being seated. So if you think about it, it's almost all of the aspects that we're engaged in throughout the day. And throughout the day, throughout our activities that we're engaged in in our life, those very activities that we're engaged in from the time that we get up, what the psalmist says right here has an influence upon us. It does. He refers to walking, standing, and being seated. And he starts out and he says, blessed is the man that walketh not. Now, this is important to consider right here. He's going to start out and he's going to tell us three areas specifically. That if we intend to expect the blessings of God in our life, in these areas in our life, here's three areas that we are to be mindful of. That we refrain from. Let's look at what he says. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. The ungodly, and there's ungodliness all around. The ungodly in Job chapter 21, verse 14 and 15 says, Depart from us, for we desire not the knowledge of thy ways. In Luke chapter 23, we see the Pharisees and those that conspired against the life of Jesus Christ. The ungodly, those that have not been touched by the spirit of God's grace, Those that have no desire to serve God, follow God. Their only desire is to draw you away from God. They do not. They're not your friend. uh, They're not your best buddy. And right here, he says that if we walk in the counsel of the ungodly, he says, basically, we're not going to. Be blessed when we do that. Now, counsel is a very important element of our life. It is. It's very, very important that we're able to obtain counsel. But it tells us right here that the counsel that we are to obtain is godly counsel. A lot of folks want to give you counsel. People like to give counsel. And a lot of folks will give you counsel based on their own opinion. Some folks will give counsel based upon their own experience. That's a little bit more weighty than somebody's opinion. But that still doesn't necessarily pan out as godly Counsel. We're taught that there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. That means that if you're seeking godly counsel, that God will bless you to come to the proper conclusion that will honor Him. 
So he says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. So where are we going to get if we're not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly? Where is it that we might possibly find godly counsel? For these young folks here, the best place that you can start to find godly counsel is from your parents. God's blessed parents with wisdom in raising their children. Another place that you can often get godly counsel is from grandparents. I'll never forget one of the special memories that I have with my grandmother and grandfather is that when I had a question that that I needed some direction, that I needed an answer to in my life, oftentimes I would go to my grandfather or my grandmother and before they would actually give me their counsel, this is great instruction for grandparents. I can remember my grandmother doing this. I can remember my grandfather doing this. I wouldn't take for the counsel that they gave me. Before they would give me counsel, they would find out what the problem or the question or the struggle was that I had. And then they would sit down with me and they would turn to God's word. And so they would give me counsel, but they would turn God's word and they'd ask me, they said, read this right here and you tell me what you make of this. And so I had a great degree of assurance that the counsel that they were giving me was counsel that they had received from God's word. Wouldn't take for that godly counsel. Another place that you can receive hopefully godly counsel is from your brothers and sisters in the church they desire for your good and for your welfare another is i trust godly ministers and one of the things that i was so blessed with in in knowing elder compton who lived to be 102 years of age and was married and celebrated 76 years of marriage is that when i knew that there was somebody that that needed some direction in, 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 in marriage, oftentimes Elder Compton would sit down with them and share with them from his experience and from God's word and give them godly counsel. It was extremely valuable. I'm thankful for Elder Bradley and for the friendship and fellowship. And through the years, I've called Elder Bradley or I've called my pastor or different ministers to obtain godly counsel. Well, the psalmist says right here that we are not. He starts right here and he says, you're a blessed man. If you choose not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. What does that mean? It means we don't rub shoulders with the ungodly. And we'll touch on that here in just a minute because we'll see the influence that it has in our life. The devastating influence that it has in our life. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And then he mentions the second item. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. Now, when he refers to in the way of sinners, the way of the ungodly is a life that is pursued and filled with sin. 
The ungodly desire not the things of God, nor to do the things of God. Their way of life is ungodly. Their thoughts are ungodly. Their actions are ungodly. Their counsel is ungodly. And there's nothing profitable for the child of God to associate with the ungodly, the influence of the ungodly. He says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. In uh, Proverbs chapter 13, it's, it's referenced in uh, Proverbs chapter 13. Uh, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15. Good understanding giveth favor. But the way, the way of the ungodly and the way of the transgressor, he describes right here, is a hard way. It's a difficult way. And when the child of God is influenced and pursues and considers whether it be for a season or for a long time going the way of the ungodly, Proverbs says it's a hard way. A minister had a young man come and visit with him in another state. And the young man was telling him that he had decided to choose a way that was contrary to the word of God. And the minister that counseled him said, I want you to remember one verse. If you're choosing to go that way, I want you to remember one verse. He said, the way, the way that you're choosing, the way that you're going, the way of the transgressor is hard. Now, I don't know about you, but different times in my life, I've gone the wrong way. And the way became hard. It did. This particular young man went that way. Years later, he went back to the minister and he repented of the way that he had chosen. And he told the pastor, he said, there were times that I hated you for saying that verse. Because when I was out enjoying and fulfilling my life of sin, in the back of my mind was that verse. And when my way became hard, I was reminded of it. You remember the prodigal son when he left? He had a hard way. A hard way. So, in, uh, in Romans... It references it in Romans chapter 6. For the child of God, we may, we may drift into sin for a season. But it's not a way of life. And when we do, we mourn that course and that association. 
The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I've heard folks say that, well, if I believed in sovereign grace like you did, then I'd just go out and sin all I want to. And the response was that if you believe in sovereign grace like I believe in sovereign grace, you would already realize that you sin far more than what you want to sin. And the Apostle Paul says right here, he says, what shall we say then? Just because we're covered with grace, just because we believe in grace, just because we experience God's amazing grace, does that give us a license to sin? Just because we know that our sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, is that a license to sin or does it grieve us that we sinned? This, uh, Paul says right here, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I like how when the Apostle Paul presents a question, he quickly answers that question for us. He doesn't leave us to wonder the answer of the question. He says grace abounds, but do we continue in sin because grace abounds? He says, God forbid. He says, how that we are dead to sin, live any longer therein. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. All of this chapter is outstanding. I would encourage you to go through and read uh, this chapter. Uh, uh, Chapter uh, 6, verse, uh, let's go down to verse uh, verse 8. Verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more and death hath no more dominion over him. For he that died, he died unto sin once, but he that liveth unto, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but to be alive through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it and the lust thereof. He says, neither yield your members as members of uh, as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And he said, for sin shall not have dominion over you for you're not under the law, but you're under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Uh, Paul says, God forbid. He basically says right here that because we are blessed with God's amazing grace and we experience the grace of God, it is not a license to sin. But because we've been chosen and called and given a spiritual life, we're called to a newness of life and a new walk as a child of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Quickened means that he made us alive if he's quickened us and given spiritual life that he's called us unto a life of righteousness and for the child of God when we associate and consider and pursue the course of the ungodly even for a season we can expect that our way will be hard why is it hard it's because the Lord loves us and he tells us that he chastens those that he loves 
And He chastens us. In Hebrews it tells us that He chastens us because He loves us. And He chastens us to bring about a change in our life. Brother Mark, I have a pretty good idea that you believed in in chastening your children. And you did it for the purpose of bringing about a change. We've got other folks here that my father was uh, very... It was very popular when I grew up to get spankings. And and I was pretty popular. But the purpose of it was to bring about a change. It was. And when the Lord chastens us, it brings about a change. Now, I don't know about you, but I can say for myself that when I start experiencing the heavy hand of God or chastening in my life, generally I know the reason why. My father used to say, do you know why I'm about to give you this spanking? Do you know why I'm about to chasten you? Generally, I know. So, verse, uh, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Back to Psalms chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. What does that mean? What, what is a, a scornful individual? A scornful individual is a, an individual that's lifted up in self, an individual that's lifted up in pride. An individual that's all about self. A scornful individual is an individual that builds up self by tearing down everybody else that's around them. By making light of people that are around or ridiculing. And part of the underlying uh, uh, cause of a scornful, scornful individual is seated with pride. Pride makes us feel like that we're there's really something to us, and that we're really better than everybody else. And it's amazing how pride can can sneak up on us. We think it is only. Something that everybody else has. I uh, this is I use this example, and it's the best one I can think of right now. But uh, uh, how it sneaks up on you. Uh, remember, a few years ago, I was uh, I was at the uh, the clothing store to buy a new suit, and uh, when I put the jacket on, I walked up to a three way mirror, and I. Uh, was looking behind and all of a sudden I was supposed to be looking at the jacket and when I looked at my head I realized I had a bald spot on the top of my head and I thought wow I wish I didn't even know it and then I thought wonder how long I've had it and then I thought everybody else has been seeing this all along and they've been knowing this a long time and that's exactly how pride creeps up on us Pride something that everybody else can see. We're oftentimes the last ones to see it. And it creeps up on us. 
And it kind of sticks to us. In Proverbs chapter 6, it tells us that there are six things that the Lord hates. Now, and then he actually mentions seven right here. But he says there's six things that the Lord hates. Now, if there's something that the Lord hates, I ought to hate it too. I should. He says there's six things that the Lord hates. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. I, I, somehow, for me, I, the way I interpret it, when he says seven are an abomination, it means to me, in my mind, that se- the seventh one is a little bit worse than the rest. That's probably, they're probably all really, really bad. But that last one, the Lord really, really hates. And I'll just go through them right quick. But here's the six things that the Lord hates. Number one, the very first one that he says he hates is a proud look. So the Lord hates a proud look. He goes on down and he mentions six things. The seventh is an abomination. And the seventh one, and I I think the, the Lord just, he hates this. It's an abomination to him. The seventh one is he that soweth discord among the brethren. Brother Mark and Sister Chrissy and I were blessed, Brother Danny and several that visited the church in Tyler, Texas, and we were blessed to know Elder Stanlin. And one of the great blessings that I, when I think of Elder Stanlin, is that he was a man that abhorred discord in the churches, and he was all about bringing unity and peace. And he pursued that, and God blessed him with that. And he died with the peace of knowing that he had served God laboring for peace in the churches. A great blessing. He says, Blessed is the man that that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, that standeth not in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. In Proverbs chapter 9, it says that uh, if you rebuke a scorner, it, it, you're gonna, it's, it's going to come back on you. You're, but if you rebuke a wise man or a child of God, uh, they're going to appreciate you for that. They are. You can't, you can't make the ungodly right. You can't, you can't change the world. You can't change those that abhor God and cause them to like God or pursue God. If Jesus Christ couldn't do it when He was here, and He can do all things, but if His presence didn't change everyone, we shouldn't think for a minute that we can change anyone. The only way that anyone is ever changed is not by my convincing them, but by the Spirit of Almighty God touching their life. It's the very same Spirit that touched your life that changed you. If you've been a cha- if you're a changed individual, you're changed because of the Spirit of Almighty God touching you and quickening you and changing you. Now, you cannot change others. You can't. God can, but you can't. You know somebody that can, and you can talk to them, but it takes the Spirit of God to change the ungodly. It does. But what you can do, and what He's telling us right here to do, 
is that we're not to we're not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We're not to stand in the way of the ungodly. And we're not to be seated in the presence of the ungodly. It seems like that what he's saying right here is that the people that we associate with in our life is going to make a big difference on how we're blessed or not. Now, are you being blessed as much as you want to be blessed? If we're not, we ought to consider the company that we're keeping right here. John said he had a lot of friends, didn't you? He says he's got a lot of friends. I said, John, do you know why you've got a lot of friends? The scripture tells us that the man that hath friends must show himself friendly. I said, the reason you have a lot of friends is because you're a friend to other people. Well, it matters who we're friends with. In fact, in um, a couple of verses right here that, that might uh, talk about this just a little bit more. There's a friend of mine that is a minister that his son, uh, his son became uh, influenced with the wrong crowd. And he then began to do things that he was not taught to do. And he ended up being overtaken with a strong addiction that has plagued him all of his life. Started when he said, he, his, his, his dad told me, he said when my son grew up, he said he was a straight A student. When he went to college, he, was, he had honors and he was at the top of his class. And he said that something changed. He got with the wrong folks. It had an influence on him. And it's probably been 15 years and it still has an influence on him today. And I asked his dad. I said, if you were going to put it on a percentage basis. How much of the course that he's engaged in right now, would you say peer pressure had to do with it? His father, to my surprise, I thought he might say 50% or 60%. His father responded by saying 100%. First Corinthians chapter 15, 33 says it like this. Be not deceived. Has Satan ever deceived you? Has he ever sold you a bill of goods? Has he ever sold you a lie? Here Paul says, be not deceived. He says, basically what he's saying right here is don't think that you are not going to be affected if you do this. Don't think that you're stronger than the enemy. Don't think that you can handle it. He says, if you think that, you're being deceived. That Satan is deceiving you if you think that you are stronger 
than the influence of the ungodly. Look what he says right here. Be not deceived. He said, I'm just going to tell you up front. Don't be deceived. He says, bottom line is this. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Just bottom line. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't hide it. He doesn't minimize it. He just simply says that it does matter who we associate with. There's, there's one more verse that, uh, that he refers to. It says, evil communications corrupt good manners. All right, here's one more. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. He starts out again. And he says, be not deceived. Now, interestingly, he's talking to children of God. He's talking to you and I right here. He's talking to each one of us right here. And he starts out and he says, be not deceived. I wonder why he says that. Could it be that it's possible that we get deceived? Look what he says. Be not deceived. And then he is a little bit stronger right here. He says, God's not going to be mocked. What does he mean? means God's not going to let us get by with it. We're not going to pull the wool over God's eyes. We're not, we're, not going to, we're not going to fool God. Now, I used to think that my mother had eyes in the back of her head because she could just look at me and tell what I was thinking. I mean, really, she knew. She just sort of knew, and I don't know how she knew that. But she just had a, had a sense or a feeling. If I was, if I was up to something, then, then she just, just knew it. But I tell you what, God knows it far better than what our mothers and our fathers do. God knows it completely. And he says right here, don't be deceived. God's not going to be fooled. God's not going to be mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth. So let me just ask you. Are we sowing the, the seeds that are going to bear fruit? To honor God? Because if we're not sowing those seeds, if we're sowing the seeds of bitterness, if we're sowing the seeds of anger, if we're sowing the seeds of lust, if we're sowing seeds uh, of, uh, of discord and dissension, we shouldn't be surprised at what we reap from those seeds that are sown. One of the things I enjoyed about Brother Tom Reeves was he always had a, a nice garden in the spring. And if he went out there and planted tomato plants or beans or corn, he fully expected to reap what he sowed. And what Paul's saying right here is don't think you're going to sow one thing and reap another. He says you're going to reap what you sow. He says... For he that soweth unto the, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Now, here's something that's interesting to note right here. Let us not be weary in well-doing. We shall reap if we faint not. The harvest time is different in every case. And God is the one that blesses the harvest. And God is the one that blesses with the time of the harvest. 
Elder Thompson, who pastored here 49 and a half years, labored and he encouraged and helped young children along the way. Even after he passed away, many of those young folks, Brother Mark, Sister Peggy, different ones, are still being influenced by what Brother Elder Thompson, the seeds that he was sowing as he lived here in this life. The individual that's sowing the seed may not ever witness the fullness of that harvest. But that's not really what's so important is that the Lord does. And the seeds that are sown are unto the Lord. He says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Let's, we'll go back to our, our psalm and we'll, we'll wrap it up. It says um, in Psalm chapter 1, by the way, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. This is one that my grandmother shared with me. I remember this. My grandmother used this verse right here. And when she would give us counsel, she would take an old number two pencil and she'd underline it in her Bible. And I, I can read through her Bible and still remember some of the lessons that she taught. It was so precious. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, the Apostle Paul says... Abstain from, what does that mean? It means withdraw from. It means create some distance from. He says abstain from the very appearance of evil. That's interesting. Interesting to know. He's not saying right here that you only abstain from evil. But he says we're to abstain from the very appearance of evil. So if we have to ask ourselves, is it okay to do it or not? Then we probably shouldn't. Because that means it could be the very appearance of evil and we're to abstain not only from evil itself, but from the very appearance of evil. My pastor used to say the best defense against trouble, best defense against sin in many cases, is just a little bit of distance. And that's what he's saying right here. To put some distance between yourself and the appearance of evil. Let's finish with this chapter because it's really good. We're out of time, but I want you to take some of these things home with you. He gives us three areas right there that we are to avoid if we're going to be a blessed individual. And then he says something that we're to do if we're going to be a blessed individual. He said, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, that we're not pursuing the path of the ungodly, that we're abhorring and distancing ourselves from the path of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way in the in the course of life of sinners nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, uh, associating, engaging by what we say, what we think, what we do, where we go. He says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But he says, his delight, this individual that's a blessed man, he says, this individual is blessed. He says, his delight is in the law of God. Go over and as some really good homework, read Psalm 119. 
Because it talks about the commandments and the statutes and the laws of God. And how that we hide them in our heart and in our mind. And how that it makes a difference within our life. And the psalmist is saying right here that if you want to be a blessed man, you abhor some things. But you also pursue some things. He says you pursue the law of God. And he says you take the law of God. You take God's word. And he says as you take God's word. He says then you meditate upon God's word. Let me just ask you. What are you thinking about? What is it that we're thinking about throughout the day? What is it that we're thinking about when we wake up at the nighttime? Are we thinking about, are we thinking about all the problems around us? Are we thinking about all the trouble around us? Are we thinking about all the discouraging news that we get? Or are we thinking about the things of God? He's saying right here that you're a blessed individual. If you'll think about God and his word, you'll be a blessed individual. And I tell you, what we write, what we say, tells a whole lot about what we're thinking about. It really does. He says his delight is in the law of God. And he says he meditates on it day and night. And then he says, I'm going to give you a comparison right here. I'm going to give you a comparison. He says the individual that's blessed by God. That's not rubbing shoulders with the ungodly. That's not seeking counsel of the ungodly. That's reading God's word and thinking on God's word. You're not going to change as we looked at. You're not going to change the ungodly. But what you can change and what God's given us the authority to change is whether we're associating with it or not. Sure can. Look what he says. He says the man that's a blessed individual that's putting his trust in the Lord and seeking the Lord and not being influenced by the ungodly. He said that individual is like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, wouldn't you like to sign up for that? I mean, that, that really, that's a real good description. Honestly, I mean, I, I realize that Given three score years and ten, generally speaking, and I'm on the last ten, if that is the true course, I'd like to know that I'm using the time that God's given me to bear fruit and to honor God. And right here, he gives us the prescription of it. He says, this individual is going to be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. What does that mean? It's going to be a strong tree. It's going to be a tree that prospers and bears fruit. It's going to be a tree that's desired by others. It is. I grew up out in the desert. And I, I, I have a great appreciation for beautiful, strong trees. And especially a tree that bears fruit and much fruit. Then he gives the, he says, the leaf of that fruit or tree will not wither. And he says, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. What does that mean? Does it mean that you're going to be rich? Does it mean that you're going to be wealthy? It's not what it means. What it does mean is that God's going to go before you. And he's going to smooth out some of those super high mountains. And he's going to raise up some of those low valleys. And he's going to go before you. And he's going to go with you. And he's going to hold you up. And he's going to sustain you. He's not going to let you hit rock bottom. 
Then he says, and whatsoever you do shall prosper. But he says, but the ungodly are not so. They're like the shaft which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And then it says, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. You want to be blessed of the Lord? You want to start? Brother Danny asked me, he said, Do you you make uh, New Year's resolutions? Uh, Some of you may may or may not and I said well I try to I try to do that throughout the year on a regular basis look at areas that that I need to change in my own life but I tell you Psalms chapter 1 is a really good New Year's resolution for us that we're not going to walk in the counsel of the ungodly because what the psalmist says is going to rub off on us And that we're going to meditate and seek God's word. And as a result, that no matter if the storms come, and they're going to. I mean, in this world, it's probably not going to get better. It probably isn't. It's probably not going to get easier for the child of God or his church or his kingdom. Probably not going to improve. I don't mean to be a bearer of bad news. Scripture says that men will wax worse and worse. Doesn't say better and better. And we're witnessing that. I thought it would have a trend, a, a, a trend sort of like this, of, or like this of getting worse and worse. But I tell you, in the last few years, it's more like this. It's more of a nosedive. But for the child of God, if we're going to be strong in the midst of those difficult times. We can be strong in the Lord. That's our strength. That's our hope. That's what's going to hold us up. That's what's going to help us. That's going to help us see us through, and then we're not going to be like the shaft that's easily tossed. It says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I don't want to be double-minded. I want to be single-minded serving God. May God bless you.